Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Lit AF with me, your host, Sarah Cohan. As always, I'm so excited to be here with you on Lit AF, the podcast for your personal and spiritual growth journey. We're all in it together, and we're having some laughs along the way because if we're not laughing, what is the point of it? (laughs) So I'm so excited for today's guest. Her name is Morgan Blackman, and she is the CEO and founder of Holistic Bucks. And today we get into all things money-related. We talk about intergenerational wealth stories, healing your money stories, investments, how to invest green, how to be like really solid about your investments. (laughs) We talk about debt, how to get out of debt, how to deal with debt, all things money related. My favorite thing about it is we talk about budgeting and she's like, let's just get rid of that word budgeting because it's really, it's like forecasting. It's almost like spell casting, which I love, love thinking about it that way. So I really hope you enjoy this episode about money. Before we get into it, I always have my weekly check-in. And today I want to talk to you about self-talk. This is like my main tool. And this weekend I used it and used it and used it and even my self-talk failed. So I just want to share this with you because this is my growth journey and I want to inspire you on yours. (laughs) So this weekend I planned a wonderful celebration for a friend of mine that's getting married and we all met up on a boat and I went to the wrong boat marina. So I was like standing around the parking lot being like, where is everybody? It was like a big group of women and no one else was there. And I was like, fuck, I am in the wrong place. So I get in the car and all of a sudden I realize that like I've got some emotion stirring in my body and it's like, oh, my core wounds are being activated. So I'm driving on this like beautiful, picturesque road, picture like just beautiful. And I'm thinking in my brain like, ugh, I feel stupid. (laughs) I feel like I'm bad for doing something wrong and going to the wrong place. On top of that, like I was kind of coordinating the whole weekend. So the fact that I was like in this position of coordination, leadership, and also like being bad because I went to the wrong place was just really activating, super triggering. So I'm driving on the car and I'm just like doing all my self-talk and like beautiful, sweet, sweet, sweet Sarah. Like it's okay that you made this mistake and no one else cares that you made the mistake. No one else feels this way that you are like treating yourself, right? We always treat ourselves worse than we treat other people. How would I treat a friend? And so I'm doing, I'm doing all the work and I'm like, girl, like, it's okay that you feel this way. It's totally, it's all your feelings are so incredibly valid and you've got this, like, it's going to be okay. And I'm like, okay, like I can do this. I can do this. And then my friend calls me. (laughs) She's like, yo, where are you at? And I'm like, um, still like, you know, 10 minutes away. And she's like, okay, cool. We got a parking spot for you. And I'm like, great. And then, you know, I get stuck by this tractor, <laughs> literally on this like one lane road. And I'm like all of a sudden triggered again, but in a different way, which was I was triggered because I was making people wait for me. I was late, which again, just means that I'm bad. And then I'm also like kind of in debt to them or that I'll be rejected for being late. And that like on top of the other trigger was like, it was like my brain couldn't even handle it. My brain was like, uh, we're just bad. Like, let's just sink into this story to the point where when I um, got out of the car, you know, parked car, I get there, I got out of the car. Anything that anyone would say to me would be triggering to me because that's the place where I was in my brain. <sighs> so, you know, later after the event was over, I was able to like totally soothe my inner child and just be like, yo girl, it's okay. And also my favorite thing that, um, I'm, I'm practicing right now is actually taught to me by Lindsay Mack of, uh, tarot for the wild soul. She talks about how, you know, it's totally okay that our brains are like ruminating on these moments and like, they'll come back to these moments and be like, but remember that time that you were late and remember that time you were dumb because you went to a different boat marina. Like it's just totally okay that my brain is constantly ruminating because my bigger brain, that's what I'll call it. Maybe that's my soul. I don't know. My bigger brain knows that it's not that big of a deal, but my little reptilian subconscious brain is like holding onto these moments to keep me safe. 
But I'm no longer even allowing that rumination to be a bigger story. That rumination used to be a bigger like, oh my God, my brain's so stuck on this. It must be this really important thing. And now I see this rumination as just my brain operating in the best way that it knows how, which is so completely outdated (laughs) that it doesn't matter. Uh, So even sometimes the self-talk is like not enough for double triggers, double do (laughs) Sometimes, you know, you just got to sit in it and that's totally, totally okay. And I just want to share that with you because even I get triggered and sometimes I get double triggers and I'm just, I'm there for me. You know, that's, that's the only thing I can be there for. So I hope that's inspiring too. <laughs> All right. And now for just a couple of announcements, I am super excited to share with you that I am hosting a new moon in Leo ceremony free just for Lit AF listeners. And I want to see you there. So I've been hosting um, moon ceremonies as part of my membership community called Magnetic AF. And they're super amazing. And I've just seen so much amazing change and growth from these. So I really wanted to bring this to you, the community, the Lit AF community. The new moon in Leo ceremony will be on August 9th from 5 to 6.30 p.m. PST. Again, that is And new moon ceremonies are all about calling things in. It's about manifestation. It's about what do you have? What do you want to be? What do you want to embody? Where do you see yourself? And new moon in Leo is a juicy. It is fixed fire. It is our lion. It is the spotlight. It is pleasure. I mean, it is like the culmination of summertime. A lovely season. So we're going to use all this juicy energy around us to really call things in. And I want to see you there. So if you're interested in signing up, you can visit sarahcohan.com forward slash new moon. So that's Sarah Cohan, S-A-R-A-H-C-O-H-A-N.com forward slash new moon. I'm really excited and I can't wait to see you there. The new moon ceremonies involve yoga nidra meditations and journaling, and we'll do some rituals to call things in. It'll be really fun. And then the other exciting thing I have to share, and I shared this um, last week, but I really just wanted to repeat it again, is that I have a new offering if you're interested in working with me. So I'm now offering attunement sessions, and these are really, really special. What happens in attunement sessions is that we sit down, my guides connect with your guides, our guides are having a little party, and you ask questions, and we consult the tarot together. And I'll read the cards to you and then really get into the stories around these cards. And so in all of my sessions, I love to use attachment theory, inner child work, as well as shadow work to work with you. (laughs) And all of my work is trauma-informed. So if you're interested in connecting with your guides, come schedule an attunement session with me. If you're interested, you can visit sarahcohan.com. That's S-A-R-A-H. C-O-H-A-N.com. And on the menu bar, you'll see the button that says work with me. So click that and you can get your attunement session scheduled today. So exciting. I'm also excited to share that Morgan will be hosting a money rituals workshop exclusively for Magnetic AF members. That's going to be on August 19th. And if you are interested in attending that workshop, you can get on the wait list for Magnetic AF. This workshop is going to be all about the rituals of finances, so budgeting, but we're not going to use that word, money rituals, as well as investing. I'd love to see you there. If you're interested in getting on the wait list for Magnetic AF, which opens on August 9th, go ahead and visit my website, sarahcohan.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-C-O-H-A-N.com. And on the menu, you'll see work with me. I hope to see you there. All right. Without further ado, let's get into this week's episode.
Well, hello, Morgan Blackman. Welcome to Lit AF Podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Hello, hello. Hi. Yes, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. We're going to talk money. We're going to talk magnetism, smart investing, so much good stuff. All of it, yes. Yes. Okay, so I just want to introduce Morgan because she's a complete badass. Morgan is a holistic wealth coach whose mission is to bridge the gap between money and wellness. As the founder of Holistic Bucks, her passion is to help millennial women who tend to overspend and avoid their finances become financially confident in making their own decisions in order to live a financially free and abundant life. She strategically helps women achieve this through building a magnetic money mindset, gaining power over their financial decisions, and learning how to invest and have their hard-earned money work for them in order to build lasting generational wealth. Yes, please. Thank you. So excited. So I just want to start by talking about what is your money story? What led you to working on your own money mindset and investing and then also helping others to build their wealth? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm always like, where do I start? There's so (laughs) many like (laughs) different versions of this story. Um, I could start at different timeframes or like timelines along this journey, but I guess starting with investing, how that all sort of unraveled, because that is where I've seen most of my financial success uh, with investing or DIY investing, if I could be specific. So with DIY investing, I started about almost five years now, 2017, and I had a good friend in university who at the time was also learning and starting to invest. And she was actually seeing a financial advisor, which like, which 20 year old is like seeing a financial advisor, right? So she was... (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Very ahead of her time. I'm impressed. (laughs) Exactly. I was really impressed too. And so, you know, just being inquisitive, like she would like come home sometimes and just like tell me about like how she went to the bank and she like got to see a financial advisor. And I would just like ask her questions like, what are they teaching you? What kind of money do you have to be like investing? And, you know, she kind of just started breaking things down for me, made it seem like super simple, even though initially it it really wasn't. <laughs> but she was like, yeah, like they're teaching me to put my money into a GIC, which I believe for in you guys in the States, it's a CD, Certificate of Deposit. And it's like usually where you like lock your money away for a certain period of time. And then uh, there's like a guaranteed return on your investment. After that, a lot of time is, is over. So it could be like from three months to like a year, 10 years, even when we think of investments. A lot of people just jump straight to stocks, but there are different types of investment products out there, right? So uh, that was like my first sort of introduction into the concept of investing and and compound interest working for you. And I was like, if I'm going to be rich as fuck (laughs) or lit as fuck, whatever it is, this is my ticket and my key to wealth, right? Like that year, I just went ham. I just like read as much books as I could, just try to like educate myself. And this is someone like I grew up with a family who they weren't really financially savvy, never once was taught how to budget or what a budget even looked like to save my father, you know, um, as great of a man he could be. He was one of those people that were like, you know, kind of live in the moment, like forget about saving, like just use your credit card and just spend or whatever, just make sure to pay off the minimum. And so that's kind of what I grew up with. So even when I got my first job at 16, I was like, yes, like I'm independent. I could just like buy all the things I wanted. And not being cognizant of like, hey, maybe it's great to, you know, to put away a little bit of money. And of course, if I knew about investing at that point, that would have been even better. But, you know, most people at that age don't. And so fast forward to now starting to invest and really getting caught up in this world, I realized that to invest, I like have to have money to put into it. And at that point, I did have like a little bit of a savings, but I had to kind of work backwards and start to realize like, well, wow, like I need to figure out like a financial game plan. I need to learn how to pay up all this debt that I've accumulated. I had a lot of credit card debt and I had a car that I had purchased outright that I had to pay off like over 13000 I had my student loans. So I was like, okay, like I want to try to pay off my debts. I like want to learn how to like save more money and actually, you know, be very strict about it. I always tell people like my financial journey was kind of backwards because most people, they do the other way around, right? It's like, well, they learn how to like 
build like an effective budgeting system and then save, build up their emergency fund and then invest. Investing is usually like a last stop. Um, but for me, it was like I started investing first, saw how successful that was, and then like <laughs> had to hurry up and do all the others. <laughs> I love that because it's so real. Like every time I think about money, I'm like, oh, retirement, oh, paying bills, budgeting, yeah. oh, like <laughs> what investment? Like it's I'm, I'm looking at all of the different things. I'm not just looking at one investment, you know? Or like just having my fuck you fun. Like, no, it's everything combined all at the same time. So I love that. Sorry. Keep going. Yeah, no. And so that year, I remember putting in like $5,000 in. And then by the end of the next year, by mid-2018, I had doubled my investment. So that $5,000 went from 5000 to 10000 which like seems small, but like if I had put $100,000 in, that would have been $200,000 kind of thing, right? Like the more money you put in, the more you kind of get back. So seeing that ROI, I was like, wow, like I didn't have to do anything. Like that was just like a magical $5,000 kind of just appeared, you know? That was exciting. But, you know, at the time I, I was still like in university, I was just wrapping that up and I was looking more towards getting like my first like full time job in my career. So interestingly enough, I went to school for international development, which was really like my whole mission to just make the world a better place. Like I saw the economic disparity and the inequality in the world. And I knew that like I wanted to dedicate my life to like uplifting communities or individuals in some way or form. I just didn't really know like how that was going to look like, um, whether it was like I start my own not-for-profit or a business. And so I kind of went that route. I was working for a not-for-profit at the time. And then COVID kind of hit. And I was like, yeah, like I'm not enjoying this. Like, of course, I'm not not-for-profit is doing great work for the world and things of that sort. But like the job in particular that I was doing, being an admin, was not lighting me up. By that time, from the first year of me investing to now, I had started to build a track record because, you know, the first year I was like, oh, this could just be a fluke, right? But when I saw that, like my second year of investing, third year, fourth year, I was still seeing like considerable returns and seeing like three to four times what the average investor sees with their lifetime. I was like, okay, I think I have something here. Like, I'm good at investing. I'm good at managing my money. You know, by this point, I had like paid off all my debt. I had built up a solid emergency fund and then COVID hit. (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, well, not really cool, but. (laughs) Not cool, but yeah. (laughs) No, not cool. But in the sense of what I was about to do next, I was like, oh, okay. You know, I'm not liking my job. Even like with COVID, there was like the, 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 the death of George Floyd and, all of that going on. And I was like, yeah, I just don't really want to work for like white corporate America anymore or like non, even if it was like non-corporate still, I just like want to create my own thing. And I didn't know at the time, because I think in the States, coaching seems like a really big business in Canada. Like the only time I've ever thought of a coach would be like a personal fitness trainer or something like that. But I didn't know you can actually have people like coach you on all these different areas of your life. Right. I was like, you know, like, I'm going to have a go at it. Like, I really want to empower women to be good at their finances. Like, just seeing me being a Black woman and at my age, I'm like, well, you know, I'm only 26. When I started investing, I was like 21. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, can you imagine, like, how many women, like, how many lives I can help transform if, like, I can get women to start taking their finances more serious at, like, an earlier age so they can start investing and start to build wealth for themselves. And so during COVID, I was like, why not? Let's give it a shot. Let me... So I started, like, an Instagram account. It was purely educational at first. I was just going to, like, have people, like, track my financial journey. And then eventually I was like, no, like, I want to coach other people. And that's how it all sort of started, (laughs) how I got to where I am now, being a holistic wealth coach. Yeah. Oh, and I'm so glad you are because you're helping so many people. You're... So I took a webinar um, from Morgan and it's... so good. I don't even know if it's available anywhere. You can talk about it at the end. One of the things you talked about was this idea of like wanting to make an impact in the world. And I am someone that worked for nonprofits for 12 years. The grind is real. <laughs> it is tough. It is just a tough working environment. It is the opposite of an abundant mindset, I would say. I don't even know what the word would be. But it's yeah. a lot of yeah. just accepting, receiving, and expecting for like handouts and all of it. It's not – I don't want to use the word handout, but it kind of does feel that way. So hearing you talk about how you wanted to make positive change in the world and really help women to just be really financially savvy – 
blew my mind. I'm like, oh my God, we can do this? Like sometimes like, you know, my little seven-year-old brain had very strong opinions on how to make like change in the world. But to hear you talk about how you're doing it is so inspiring. So really, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. No, really, thank you. <laughs> so you, yeah, it, yeah. yeah. So you weave spirituality so beautifully into your business. So let's talk about this. How do you weave spirituality and finances together? Yeah. And I guess like that was like another part of my money story that <laughs> that's how I'm like, there's so many moving parts, but um... we're just going to, you'll tell it throughout the whole episode. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It'll unravel itself naturally. So actually right before I started investing that year, 2017, I had, I guess, one of my first spiritual awakenings. Cause I think like we have multiple versions of it throughout our lives. I was going through like most women, like we go through like a really bad breakup, but this one in particular was like my first love. So it was like even more crushing, you know, now I could just like stitch up my heart and go back out there. But that first one was like a huge blow <laughs> to my ego, to all that I thought about relationships and love. It, it, it got to a point where it was like becoming really abusive. So it was very toxic and slowly had to like find a way to pull myself away from that. And I eventually did. And I felt like once I did, I was just at like the lowest of the low. I thought I had loved myself. I thought I had done the work on myself. I was just sitting there like, how can I allow someone to treat me this way? And I realized that there was a lot of work that I had to do, inner work to do. A part of that was sort of replicating the trauma that I've seen with other women in my life who've gone through their own abusive and toxic situation. Ties back into money too, because a lot of the times they, they couldn't leave because the, the person who was in control of their finances was like the abusive husband or partner, right? And their resources was tied up with that person. So in that moment, 2017, I was like, yeah, like moving forward, like I just want to live my best life and the best version of myself and nothing's going to stop me. Like I want it all and I will never allow someone to take that away from me. Cause I deserve it. And I just started making small changes from like, you know, going to the gym, which I had never done before. I signed up for a gym membership at my university. I was starting to eat better. I was just so conscious of like what I was putting into my body, just information that I was receiving, the people I was hanging out with. And then of course, like even going to the gym, I started taking like yoga and that was the first time that I was introduced to like meditation and the chakra system. And then I had a friend who was kind of ahead of me and she was like into crystals. And so I feel like 2017, I just got bombarded with like spiritual shit, like the spiritual <laughs> world, <laughs> spiritual side of things. And like, I was just eating it all up. I was like, yes, yes, yes. Give me more. And, you know, started journaling affirmations. I like, I learned all of that in 2017. And so I, like I always tell people before my financial journey kind of took off, it was like, I had that spiritual foundation first, right? Like my mindset was like <laughs> A1, right? It was like, it was there, it was ready. It was ready to receive. It was ready to go out there and have it all. So I think first thing that I usually tell people and, you know, a big reason why I bridge and incorporate spirituality into my finances is that when your mindset is in an optimal and abundant place, that is where you're going to see the things that you start to go after are easily manifested into your reality. I think for me, it was that self-awareness. I think even just being self-aware in the moment, which isn't that easy, right? It takes you having to really, you know, sit with yourself and, and ask, like, why am I in the situation that I'm in right now? What does the life that I'm leading right now look like? And where do I want to go? And what's in the way of that, right? And figuring out, like, what? Is it self-doubt? Is it shame? Is it is it guilt for something I've done in the past and feeling like I don't deserve more? Is it, you know, your limiting beliefs, right? About you being able to achieve a certain thing, not feeling like it, it's capable based on maybe what your parents taught you or society and it's out of your reach. Even for me, I think around that time, like, you know, I did have a lot of limiting beliefs that I had to work through. And even when you talk about, you know, when you were working at a not-for-profit and it's sort of the opposite of abundance when you're working in those environments, right? Feeling like you have to do things for free and out of, you know, the good of your heart and like not receive anything, which was really interesting to me because I'm like, well, how am I trying to help other people and like uplift them out of poverty? But then like, I'm still living in poverty myself, right? And I'm like, does that even make sense? <laughs> and like, you're always taught, like when you go into that field, like, you know, being an artist or going to not-for-profit feel like you're not supposed to make money. Um, I had to start to like challenge those beliefs. And eventually I did because I thought, you know, and, and like a big one, a big limiting belief that I had that spoke into that was 
um, you know, that rich people were evil. That like the reason why we have all this inequality in the world is, you know, we have a small number of people with all the wealth and, and which is true, right? It is true. That is a fact. And well, we automatically assume that all these people are evil, right? Like when I look at like the Bill Gates or maybe Bill Gates is not a good example, but like maybe Oprah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> someone who has all this wealth accumulated and they want to give that, you know, back and, and try to make the world a better place. I'm like, you know, there are people who do good with their wealth. Um, and then there are going to be people who don't do good with their wealth. And that is just the reality of things, right? And so at that moment, I was like, well, you know, I know I'm a good person inherently and I want to make the world a better place. And so that's okay if I make enough money and I have enough wealth for myself and to live my life a certain way, but then also still being mindful of how I can use that money and wealth to redistribute that, to like, you know, provide impact back into the world and like not lose sight of that, right? So I think that's where like the self-awareness piece comes in, figuring out like what is, where's the resistance in your life? identifying what this resistance is so that you can start to release that, undo away all these limiting beliefs and start to make more intuitive and aligned decisions. And of course, then it's like managing your mental health, right? How are you regulating your emotions on an everyday basis? So a lot of the times when we're making financial decisions, we're making them out of a place of, you know, angst or overwhelm or anxiety. And when we're making any kind of decisions, like doesn't even have to be related to finances, you're probably not making them, you know, the, the best decision if you're making it out of those emotional places, right? I think for me, like on an everyday basis, how are you managing your mental health? How are you regulating these emotions? You know, so using meditation or even therapy, right? Like I never negate the fact that people have been through some like serious shit and sometimes it's not as easy to just meditate it away, right? Like maybe you really do need to like go see someone, yeah. <laughs> like talk to somebody about, you know, things that you've gone through in the past and clearing that up, healing up that trauma. And so, yeah, a blend of all these different things, being self-aware, you know, tapping into personal development tools and just using different spiritual tools and modalities like meditation, journaling, tapping and, and all in combination. <laughs> we'll get you that. somewhere. It'll get you somewhere. <laughs> I love that. Talk about ending and like really ending ancestral trauma and like wealth stories. Like it's so cool, Morgan. I'm obsessed. Yeah, I would say, oh my goodness. I mean, for me, especially like as a black woman, I feel like there's so much deep rooted trauma. Even when we talk about like capitalism, right? Like that gets me so upset because <laughs> it's like, yeah, like, you know, this, this system has been built off the backs of either black people or indigenous peoples. And we were sort of like, told to just like pick ourselves up from our bootstraps and catch up with the rest of everyone. So it's so real. And I feel like, you know, there's different versions or, 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 or narratives or stories of trauma that reach outside of just finances, right? Like when I even talked about my own story, like with women and seeing a lot of women in my line be, you know, abused by men and toxic relationships. And even I'm still kind of trying to work through that because I've never grown up and seen like what a healthy relationship really looks like, right? So I think, yeah, when it comes to trauma, one, giving yourself grace, forgiving yourself, like... <laughs> It's interesting because I feel like this is, for me, I think this is the reason why we're on this earth. Like this is a part of our spiritual growth and process to come here to go through these challenges and to try to overcome them, right? It's kind of, it sucks. It's like, why would I sign up for this? But yeah, we did, thank right? you. We why? <laughs> well, I was like, Morgan, why would you sign up for this? Like, <laughs> earth is so ghetto. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, but yeah, I think that's a part of it. And I think what's so helpful when I look at, I like to use Oprah because like she's the only person, like I kind of know her story of growing up and, you know, being raped and in poverty and things like that. But to see someone, a black woman that looks like me come from that and be able to be where she is today. Or even when I look at, you know, the Gandhis of the world or like Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King, like they never had anything, but their vision for a better world and, and knowing their mission and their purpose, they you know, we're able to create something so great and long lasting. And so I kind of look at that and I'm like, you know, for someone who's been through all that shit, even though I've been through my own shit, but it's like for someone to go through all that shit and still be able to come out, you know, great despite their trials and tribulations, that sort of gives me hope, right? And it, it motivates me to continue doing the work, right? It's an everyday process. And so with trauma, I don't think it like maybe ever, like you never forget about it, right? Like it's there, it's a part of your story, but I always tell people like, don't let that story make you. If anything, that is an inspiring story to help other people sort of get through their shit, right? And, <laughs> and overcome their own situation or problems that may have looked similar to yours. 
Um, and that's exactly what I do when it comes to my finances and and and, and wealth building and creating holistic bucks. Because I, you know, I I have seen I have seen women who have, you know, not taken any control of their finances and left it to somebody else. Whether you're a guy or you know a man or a woman, I think it's so important to have that independence and that financial competency in regards to your finances. Because if you rely on somebody else to, I guess, execute one area of your life for you, they can take advantage of that, right? They can take advantage of you in the situation. And there's so much power in being knowledgeable and and and, and, and having control of every area of your life um, and not leaving it and being dependent on somebody else. So yeah, like I said, when it comes back to trauma, being very forgiving, on yourself, giving yourself grace. We all have our challenges and our problems and taking it one day at a time. So like I said, those tools that you can use, right? Whether it's, you know, really focusing on the things that light you up every day, but really when it comes to trauma doing, like you really need to do that deep and inner work. So, you know, going to therapy, talking to somebody about it, it could be, you know, meditating and, you know, meditating has its own benefits in terms of releasing trauma and and, and reducing stress and anxiety. Um, using some of these tools and being consistent with them, right? Because it's one thing to just do it one day and then like never do it again. But if you're someone that really creates a routine or a ritual out of it, you know, even whether it's just journaling and just just writing, just brain dumping, just all the shit that you've been through and like crying and getting angry and like writing it out and, you know, removing that from your subconscious and putting that onto paper so you're able to be self-aware and to, to assess that and to sit with those feelings and emotions and then release them and just know that like this happened to you, but it doesn't have to eat you up. It doesn't have to eat you alive, right? This isn't a life sentence. Yeah. It doesn't um, have to define you at all. It doesn't have to define you at all. Yeah. 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 Oh, I love this. This is so trauma-informed, which is so important. Oh my God. My friend just told me a story. She came into a tiny little bit of money. And she was asking a friend for financial advisor help. And they hooked her up with a financial advisor who uh, came from a lot of wealth and and gave just really made her feel very shamed during the entire conversation. And I was just like, <laughs> oh my, like, I can't even, I, I'm so sorry that happened to you, first of all. There is nothing wrong with the way that you are handling your finances. Like, you are doing everything that you've been taught to do. Exactly. Everything. Yeah, the best that you can with what you know. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And now look at you taking this next step into like educating yourself on like how to have money. It's a really cool thing to do. So anyway, long story short, there are some people out there that are not as trauma informed. So I think that's really cool. That is true. Yeah. And I think that's important for anyone who, you know, if, if you are looking for an advisor or a coach of some sort, like, you know, really assessing whether they are trauma informed or not, right? And, and what their experience has been with money or have, have they come from wealth already? They come from a place of privilege and all of that. Right. Yeah. Oh, Super important. Such good question. But someone can come from privilege and still be trauma informed, right? So that's yes. an automatic. Very good point. Yeah. That is but, a very good yeah. point. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Hey you, I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Lit AF podcast. I know I am. If you're interested in taking your personal and spiritual growth just a little bit further, I hope you would consider joining the Magnetic AF community. It is a community of women supporting women on their own personal and spiritual growth path. Members get access to weekly community calls, and each month I host a full moon ceremony as well as a new moon ceremony. These ceremonies help you both release whatever is unblocking you and call things in so you can really work on that manifestation list. Members also receive access to a monthly workshop that is hosted by one of the Lit AF podcast guests and a member spotlight story. And this is an interview with a Magnetic AF member that is feeling particularly magnetic, and they share their entire story of calling something in. And I hope to see you there. If you're interested in joining, please visit my website, Sarah Cohan. Dot com. That's S-A-R-A-H-C-O-H-A-N.com under Magnetic AF. Join today and meet your soul tribe. Thanks so much.
I'm also excited to share that Morgan will be hosting a money rituals workshop exclusively for Magnetic AF members. That's going to be on August 19th. And if you are interested in attending that workshop, you can get on the wait list for Magnetic AF. This workshop is going to be all about the rituals of finances, so budgeting, but we're not going to use that word, money rituals, as well as investing. I'd love to see you there. If you're interested in getting on the wait list for Magnetic AF, which opens on August 9th, go ahead and visit my website, sarahcohan.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-C-O-H-A-N.com. And on the menu, you'll see work with me. Now let's head back to the episode. Okay, so you talked a little bit about some limiting beliefs around money, which I love. I love talking about these. So what money stories do you see people struggle with? And like there's kind of this like running undercurrent in my household of like people with money are all assholes. My money story from growing my money story from growing up is that if you have money, you literally are an asshole. And like I'm so sorry for everyone listening that has money because you're not. Like you are just not. Exactly. <laughs> but that's just little Sarah's brain making, you know, putting together assumptions as a young child and carrying them forward as everyone does. Yeah. So I'm curious, like what what money stories do you see people struggling with? Oh, and like the judging people that invest in the stock market or like, I would love to hear like some money limiting beliefs about stock market. Yes, of course. So I kind of like broken down the limiting beliefs into like four overarching themes because uh, there's there's so many that can play a part. But like you said, I think a big one for people, especially if you grew up really religious, you know, subscribe to like Christianity or maybe some of the other religions. I know for myself, I grew up Christian and they're like, so many um, parables in the Bible or even just quotes from there that talk about how money is the root of all evil. And it's always looked down upon that someone may have more wealth or, or more money than they need. And I've kind of gone my life trying to be humble about that fact and struggling with, you know, I want to have a lot of money. I want to like, you know, and not have a lot of money just for vain reasons, but to, you know, feel financially secure to like travel once in a while and like go to eat at like the finest restaurants with my friends, you know, but it's, it's sort of like you're look, you know, that's looked down upon. Yeah. I think a, a big one is the fact that money is evil. Money is people with money are, are, are assholes, like you said. Uh, this is the reason why. And I think a big reason is like when we look at the world, we see the destruction, we see the poverty, we equate that to, oh, well, of course, it's like all the wealthy people, right? People are greedy. And the ones that have money, they're greedy and they just want more and they want more and they want more. And then they don't leave anything else for the rest of us, which can be true. There are people out there that are like that. But I think it's that, that overgeneralization that comes to harm us because then we automatically paint every rich person with the same brush when there are a lot of wealthy people who are doing good in the world, right? And who who give back, like, I don't know, what's that example of, um, you know, like Jeff Bezos's wife or ex-wife and, you know, she's been giving a lot of money back to like organizations and things like that. There are tax benefits to actually giving back to charities and stuff. So a lot of wealthy people do give back. <laughs> uh, we may not see it or hear of it, you're going to have the Jeffrey Epsteins and you're going to have the Oprahs and <laughs> you having wealth, you shouldn't feel bad for, for wanting it or having it, right? Like when I talk about wealth, wealth isn't about the quantity of money you have. It's about the time they're able to buy back. So with investing, with building out this wealth on the side, you can take a year off of work and travel the world, right? Because you have that wealth set aside or like, if you get fired, it usually takes three to six months to find another job, right? Do you have any sort of emergency fund or, but then also with the wealth that I have, I can do more, right? I can make better choices. You know, like when I think about sustainable, like clothing brands, sometimes they can be a bit pricey, right? Like $200 for a sweater, you know, and it's like fair trade and the people that are getting paid a fair, fair wage price kind of goes up and it's like, well, I, I want to support these companies, but I don't have the money to either. Right. So, but then also, you know, I, I come from a not-for-profit background. So like charity, being able to give back, if you don't have any money yourself, how are you able to give? So I think just like revisiting that belief about, you know, rich people are evil. Is that really true? Um, how could you look at examples of, in your life of people that are well off and that are like amazing human beings, right? You know, who I am inherently as a person, will more money make me worse off or will it make me better off? And how will I make an imprint and a positive impact in this world by having more? 
um, that's where you should sort of focus on. And then some other money stories is like, you know, money doesn't buy happiness too. So I feel like to a certain extent, money can make you happy. Like if, you know, like if you don't have food on your table and then you get offered a million dollars, like, of course, like in that moment, like <laughs> gonna be happy. Help you so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, is there a difference between $500,000 and, like, you know, making a billion dollars a year? Or, okay, no, that's that's a bad example. $500,000 and, like, a million dollars? Maybe not, right? Because there's sort of a cap as to, like, how much someone needs to be happy. And at the core of it, we don't, as humans, we chase external things to make us happy. But once we realize external things don't make us happy, I think is, is where we come to true inner peace. Because, yeah, like we have everything that we already need, right? Community, the basics, ourselves, our relationship with ourselves, like that is what's most important. Nothing can ever make you permanently happy. Happiness isn't even an end goal. It's like something that you have to work towards every single day, right? You have to choose to be happy today. Um, but it isn't something that money or external things can 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 help you. But I think where it kind of gets dangerous is that some people may use it as an excuse to not have wealth, right? So it may be like, oh, well, like, I don't need money anyways because like it's not like it's going to make me happy. So you want to be careful of that. Like it, it doesn't make you permanently happy, but it can help with, you know, certain, it, it can help with improving the quality of your life. And then another money story would be like money is hard to come by, which can be very real for most people. I think one thing that's interesting about these limiting beliefs and these scripts, it's not that like it negates the fact that it's real (laughs) Um, and that, you know, there aren't any evil people in this world or money isn't hard to come by, but subscribing to it, I sort of have this, this thing where it's like you believe something and these belief sets sort of determine your actions and and the decisions that you make. And then these decisions that you make kind of feed into your reality, right? And what happens and experiences that you have. So it's almost like sort of tricking your mind, sort of like faking it till you make it. (laughs) Almost so it's like, if you believe that money is like extremely hard to come by and that most people are poor and that this is just like a life sentence and this is how you're going to live your life, then then yeah, then that's what it's going to be, Right. But if you can take the time to sort of imagine a better ideal for yourself, right? Even if it's something small as it doesn't have to be like, oh, like me and money are best friends, but it can be like, you know, I'm doing the best that I can with what I know. And like, I have everything that I need today. And I'm hoping that the universe will shower me with more abundance tomorrow. You know, things like that. Add a little positive twist and spin to it. And then, you know, the the whole work hard. I think this is a big one for entrepreneurs is, you know, I need to work hard in order to make money. If I'm not working hard, I'm not doing anything and I'm going to be a failure. Or some people may use it as an excuse to not want to be wealthy either because, well, you know, to make six figures, that means I probably have to work, you know, like a ton of long hours and not have time to spend at my family and friends. And so I'd rather not have that, right? Like I'm perfectly happy or okay with where I'm at right now. Um, because more money is just going to cause more problems, right? <laughs> that kind of sense. So I think these are like all the kind of different beliefs that some people may have. Some people may have all of them. Some people may have one or two that they sort of um, really stand by. But yeah, I think it's a good start. Like I said, being self-aware of like, what, you know, what sort of limiting beliefs do you already have? And being mindful that th- this limiting belief, is it really you that believes this? I think that's really the most important thing to address because do you actually believe that money is evil or were you taught that money was evil right and that's a distinction that you have to make and peel back those layers like no this is actually my parents taught me this right or like society told me this is how it's supposed to be i love this analogy that someone uses or someone's uh mentioned in the past where it's like you know being a baby you come into this world you think or even just being a toddler or a child you think you can have anything and everything right and The moment when you realize you can't is when someone tells you no, right? You're like, oh, I want to be an astronaut and go to space. And someone's like, no, you can't do that. (laughs) And you're like, oh, but I thought I could, you know? (laughs) So yeah, it's that moment that someone tells you no, and it's the no's that we've been told repetitively over our lifetime becomes that limiting belief. Mm. Oh my gosh. So we got to clear it up. We got to clear it up. What's the programming? What is ours? I love that. (sighs) Okay. So what are your tips for someone that's struggling with credit card debt right now? Like I said, I would say don't because I feel like people that work with credit card debt, they're so hard on themselves. There's so much shame. How did I get here? So much shame. (laughs) People commit suicide over this stuff. It's crazy. Exactly. Exactly. I have beef with like, you know, credit card companies because on one end, it's like society rewards you for like using credit cards. (laughs) But then in the same breath, it's like they shame you for being credit card debt. It makes no sense at all. 
But I would say one, you know, every day is a new day. So yes, your credit card debt right now or student loans or whatever it may be, and it's frustrating and you don't know how you got here, you know, breathe. <laughs> I, I think the best place to start uh, from a financial perspective is to, of course, just try to keep up with the minimum monthly payments, right, that you have to pay off. Um, if that's all you can do, then that's all you can do until you're able to do more. Um, if you are able to do more, you get yourself into a position where, you know, you do the money mindset work, you start to sort of change your behaviors and your habits around money, you start to save a little bit more. You could put a little bit more down in the minimum monthly payments. Of course, you can like finish paying off your debts within a faster amount of time. Usually what I've what I've done most recently because I've had a background where, you know, like I said, like my father was someone who was like, yes, use credit cards. Like, <laughs> So I have a habit and don't do this if it's like your oldest credit card that you have, because that's like your credit history. Um, but if you have other cards that you like recently maybe just like signed on for and you like just kind of finished paying it off. I would like cut up that card as soon as you can. There's even, like, certain cards that I don't carry with me. Like, I have them, like, locked up somewhere. <laughs> so, like, when I am out shopping and doing things, like, I can't run and use it. It's just, like, no, I have to use the money that I have, you know? So there are certain things that you can do um, by just, like, removing the temptation from your environment. You know, if you don't already have some sort of budget in place, I don't like to call it a budget. I, just, I like to call it, like, I don't know, like a financial assessment or, like, money check-in or money date. Um, something where you're repeatedly over a certain period of time going in and just assessing like what's coming in, what's going out. Cause I think a big reason why I had credit card debt myself was because like I wasn't budgeting, right? Like I was just like, I'll just use the credit card and I'll just pay it off whenever I can. And because of that, I wasn't really taking an assessment of what was coming in, how much was going out. I never actually sat down with myself and like really assessed my finances. Um, so that could be something if you already weren't doing you know, and like if you need guidance or support and help on that, because I know there's like a lot of trauma around even like budgeting for some people and facing the reality of where they're at in their finances, um, you know, talking to someone, working with someone like me, like a coach so that we can like address it together and ease yourself into that practice because it's it's so much easier to avoid your finances or to keep avoiding it. But in the long run, it kind of just digs you into a deeper hole. Right. So it's like it's tough. It's better to kind of just look at where you're at now. And then at least when you look at your your finances, you're able to say, okay, like this sucks, but like now I know what I have to do next. Now I can start to lay out the foundations and then start to take actionable steps. Whereas if you don't know what's going on, then you just continue to be like, you know, running around in the dark and making the situation worse. So those are like, I guess, on the financial side of things, things you can do. And I think most people already know that. <laughs> so when it comes to like the mindset piece, I think this is why it's so important to kind of do that work and, and really figure out like who you are as a person and what are your goals? What are your needs and your wants? For me, I realized that a lot of like a great example is I used to spend a lot of money on like makeup, like going to Sephora as like adolescent, a teenager. And now I hardly spend any money on makeup. But I think at the time, a lot of like a big reason why I was spending so much money on makeup was like my friends, right? Like that was the end thing. Just being a young girl and like, having all this money, you have your first job and it's like, what do you spend it on? Right? Like makeup and like looking good, like people. And so I remember like university, I started to really like ask myself, like, why, like, why do I even wear makeup? Why do I spend so much money at Sephora? Like, why, why do I need makeup? What's the purpose of it? And not to shame anyone that does love makeup. Like I still wear makeup, like I said at times, but I realized a big reason why I was spending a lot of money on makeup was because I didn't like the way that I looked. Like, um, I grew up with like a lot of body issues and like, you know, I never thought anyone or a guy would like me for just like how I look naturally with like my natural face. I always felt more confident with makeup on. And I started to realize like, Hey, like I want to feel confident without makeup. Right. Like how can I kind of got it back into that? How can I learn to love myself more? Right. And with doing that and doing that inner work, I, 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 re I realized I stopped spending a lot of money at makeup stores and that money I was able to, you know, save, or because I wasn't spending at um, Sephora really helped me to focus on other financial goals. So I think when people make purchases, like in the moment, we can be very impulsive and we think it's something that we really need, but most of the time it's really a want. And really, 
you know, asking yourself, like, why is this important to me? Why, why do I need to have this? It's like, how am I even feeling in this moment? Am I, like, am I stressed? Did, like, my boyfriend just break up with me? And am I using this to sort of fill a void, right? It's, even there's some hacks around that. Some people say, you know, before making, like, especially a large purchase, like, wait, 24, 48 hours, right? Like, give yourself some time. Because maybe that feeling or that emotion may, may, may pass. And you may realize after a couple of days, like, you actually don't need it. Or you found another way to deal with the situation, right, on your own and you're able to improvise. So, and you got to understand that we live in a society where, like, especially for women, we're, like, bombarded with marketing tactics, right? Like, we're bombarded with having to buy things. I think it's really important that we decipher whether is this something that I want or it kind of it's very similar to like limiting beliefs is this something that I really want or is this something that other people are telling me that I need that of course takes a ton of self-awareness and doing that work um, and figuring out your why I think once you start to figure out your why and you have your goals set in place like for me once I started investing it was very hard for me to like want to spend sporadically and like in- impulsively because I was like well I have a goal like now I know how 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 amazing this this process works investing my money haven't worked for me like i want to put more of my money into my investments which means i don't even care about buying all these other little silly things anymore like i just want you know so i think we just have to have goals in place and even when you start saving and investing you start to understand like how it's you know it's, it's helped with your mental health like you realize you're less anxious you're less overwhelmed you feel more financially secure you want to con- you naturally would want to continue doing that right so yeah, I think with like, you know, being in credit card debt, really, really get into the root of like your behaviors and like, why, what are you purchasing the most? What is getting you into debt? Why this, why is it this particular product or service or, or, or thing or experience that's, that's digging you into this deeper hole? I love that. I used to be such, such an impulsive spender. <laughs> and my credit card definitely reflected that. But it's interesting doing all of this um, spiritual, personal growth stuff that like all of a sudden the word no isn't as painful to me anymore. And so when I'm out on a walk and my little brain is like, oh, let's go to that shop and get something fun just because I want to have something in my hand when I come home. I'm like, no. And then when I say no, I'm like, oh, okay. Like I'm not as like, like it's not the same like painful no that it used to be. I don't know. It's a weird way to say it, but doing this work can really help that. Yeah. And that's how it kind of feeds into the whole back into the like looking for external things to buy us happiness. Cause that's a lot of like, like that's kind of what it is, right? It's, it's whether it's spending a lot of money impulsively and getting yourself with the credit card debt, whether it's like having too much sex or whether it's like emotional eating, you know, or drugs, like we're all just trying to find ways to cope. If we can find healthy ways to cope, so that it doesn't have to be us spending our money on things that we don't really need and being impulsive. So once you have that urge, like you said, you know, maybe it could be going for a walk or be calling a friend, stepping away from the situation and like maybe talking it out with someone or it could just be, you know, meditating, taking a break from the situation. If you're about to make that decision, I mean, like, of course, like if you're like in a shopping mall, you're not going to like step away and just like meditate. <laughs> Hold on. Give me five minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but... That's what I kind of said. It's, it's like, it's one of those things where you have to be proactive almost when it comes to your mindset. It's like, it's hard to make the decision in the moment, but if you're finding internal ways to do that, internal things that like light you up and make you feel at peace, you're going to find you less and less you run for things outside of yourself. Um, I also want to jump back earlier just a little bit when you said not to use the word budget. Thank you for saying that. (laughs) I check in with my money monthly and I use Mint and I'm tracking money in and money out and I've got goals. And the word budget, like I just assumed that like the word budget meant something way more active than it actually is. Like I recently talked to my uncle and he's like, yeah, you know, at the end of the month when I'm like reconciling my budget and I'm like, oh, wow, what is this thing that you're doing that's like so active? And then hearing you speak, I'm like, oh, wait a second, I'm doing it. And it's almost like a monthly manifestation list in a way because it's like, here's what's coming in, here's what's coming out, and here's what I want to achieve. And it's like a little background in my subconscious like it it knows yeah i like to call them like money rituals or like 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 a like like a mini ceremony or you know some people call it money dates but like this is like i always say like money like anything is like an energy and 
you have to see money as like a relationship, just like anything else, like a relationship with yourself or like with your family members or significant other. Like, what is your relationship with money like? And so it's almost like when you choose to, you know, reassess your finances every month or, or, or sit down with your money, like that's a relationship that you're trying to establish and maintain and build, right? And a healthy one. And this is why I don't like to call it budgeting because when I hear the word budget, I feel it sounds like it's something so restrictive. Right? And I think that's why a lot of people don't like doing it because you hear budget and it's like, oh, shoot, that means I'm going to like have to realize I have to cut out something yes. out of my life and I don't want to have to do that. I have to be so restrictive and like save, like saving is so boring. But I'm like, no, like money should be fun. Like this is an opportunity for you to sit down and be like, okay, am I getting closer towards my goals? I can save or build up my emergency fund. Like I'm in a better position or like I'm, you know, building up a savings, um, like a, a travel fund so that I can go on my June vacation next year. Like these are things that are goals that should be exciting, right? Or I'm starting to invest and have my investments grow. And so I can build generational wealth and like secure my grandchildren and things like that. Like these are the things that should be hella exciting and shouldn't be restrictive. And I always tell people that like, you should be happy that you are saving towards your future self. Money money is not our enemy. Money is really on our side. But we kind of we make it out to be this thing that's like pitted against us when really if we're able to realign our energies with this energy and, you know, like we had said earlier, a lot of the times it's just like we just do the best with what we know. And a lot of the times it's like we just don't know any better. So once you start to educate yourself, you start to do the work and you put yourself into the right places and spaces and start to have more conversations about money, like you're better off. Even create like a ceremony around it. Like if you want, like light a candle, make some tea, dance, you know, play some feel good music. Or um, what I do with my clients, like I have some journal prompts set aside as well, right? Like if you want, write like a gratitude list, right? So after you're done like reassessing your finances, just like write everything that you're thankful for. Like make it like this, this, this really nice, juicy, exciting process. <laughs> And not something that has to feel restrictive and something that you want to run away from. Oh, so inspiring. I love that. I love that. You're inspiring me to like study numerology because I feel like if I like numbers, then I'll be like, hell yeah. Look at these numbers. Loving me back. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Okay. So on the flip side of that, or even if someone is in credit card debt and they're ready to invest, what are your tips for someone that is interested in investing? Yeah. So with investing, um, I usually say, because it can't feel very overwhelming in the beginning. And one interesting stat I've been seeing over the years is that most DIY investors, someone like myself, only 10% of DIY investors actually outperform the stock market. Um, So I'm very wary of telling people to just like, go do it on your own. And I know that that's like, especially with this current climate, that's what most people want to do. And I think that's important. Like, I think it's it's cool to like want to have you know, um, complete autonomy over like the companies you invest in and things like, especially when we start to talk about ethical investing within the stock market. But I think the best place to start would to be just have someone do it for you. (laughs) So whether that's, you know, going the traditional route and like seeing a financial advisor at your bank and just sitting down with them and, you know, they'll ask you the basic questions, like what are your financial goals? For most people, it's like your retirement. That's really really what you should be investing for. Not to get rich quick, right? For your retirement. People like your retirement doesn't have to be 65. I think people think like, oh my gosh, retirement. Like I don't want to wait till I'm 65. Um, If you invest in a certain way, you can actually like fast forward that process and retire even earlier. There's actually a whole movement around it called FIRE. And like, I always tell people like, I know some people are like, oh, like I don't even believe in retirement. Like I will never retire. I love what I do. But Um, Just to have that option. Like if you want to take a year off and just travel, like I said, or just, you know, spend more time with family and friends, like, or you're going through like a a real bad illness, you know, like knowing that like you can take some time off if you wanted to, and then hop back into whatever you were doing before. And it's, it's almost like your work now becomes optional, right? It's like you can work whenever you want to and not feel like you're pressured to work because you have to exchange your time for money for a living, right? So I see it as like, you know, you're investing towards your retirement or like mini retirements, whatever that may be. Um, But have someone do it for you. Go to your financial advisor. They're going to ask about your financial goals, your risk tolerance. So how you are with seeing your your investments go up and down and fluctuate over a period of time. Um, Are you someone who's more conservative? Are you someone who's more aggressive and you're okay with seeing more volatility in your portfolio over the years? And um, how much money you have to start off with? And then based on how you answer these questions, your financial advisor will choose a portfolio, like will we'll 
will manage all of that for you. And all you only have to worry about is just, you know, every month contributing a certain amount. Usually, like, the recommended amount is 20% of your yearly income. Um, if not, you know, no worries. Just do the best that you can. Um, one alternative that has become very popular lately is robo-advisors. So they're online investment platforms, sort of similar to set up with your financial advisor, except they use AI and they ask you the same similar questions, but they use AI to sort of customize a specific portfolio for you. Most robo-advisors do have coaches and like advisors. It's just the way the application is built is, is different. The best thing about robo-advisors is that the fees tend to be lower because the type of investment products they're putting your money into come with lower fees. I love robo-advisors. That's usually where I direct people to go. But if, you know, if you're a bit more old fashioned and you want to like, you already have a system set up with your bank and you sort of just want to like work with a financial advisor in person, then that's great. Um, But you have those two options. Love it. We don't need to learn how to invest is what I'm hearing. (laughs) (laughs) No, exactly. You don't have to. I mean, like over time, that's something that you could do on your own. But in the beginning, don't feel like I have to do this all on my own. Like, no, there are people that do it for you. And yeah. You're, you're, you're in good hands for the most part. Love that. Yeah. And pay someone else to do it. Why not? Why not? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And how can someone invest consciously if that's what they're, if that's what they're into? Yeah. So that's where we start to get into more like um, maybe you want to start DIY investing and that's sort of the benefit of DIY investing. Most robo-advisors, I feel to mention, you can also start investing with as little as a dollar. So I usually always tell people like, even if you don't have the 20% of your monthly income to put away, like you're still working on paying off debt or building up your state, your emergency savings. If you want, you could just, you know, throw a little $5 in there every month and kind of just, it's almost like practice trading, right? Just kind of seeing like the price fluctuate, go up and down and starting to get accustomed to like how investing actually works. And then when it comes to investing consciously and ethically, yeah, I think that's really interesting because of course the downside to having somebody invest your money for you is that you don't really know where they're putting your money. Like you see the returns and you're like, oh, cool. I went up like 10% this year, but you don't really know like what companies you're supporting. And that's essentially like what the stock market is. You're putting your money into, or you're owning pieces of companies that, you know, hoping that they go up in value and then your money goes up in value as well. And you make a return off of that. So there could be, you know, for example, like a mutual fund that your financial advisor has put your money into and, That mutual fund is made up of a bunch of different companies. And maybe there's like some companies you're cool with, but then there's probably like companies that you don't want to support. Maybe there's some like oil companies in there and you're like, oh, oil, ew. Like, you know, I'm trying to, you know, I'm like an environmentalist and like I want to support green energy. Like why the hell would I ever put my money in that? So I think that's a large concern for people. Like if I'm investing, is my money, you know, am I supporting corrupt companies? And so when it comes to DIY investing and doing your own investments, you have the power now to build out your own portfolio. You get to decide what companies you're putting your money into and which companies you're supporting and making sure that they align with your values and your vision for where you, know, you want the world to be in a couple years, tomorrow, a year, 20, 50 years from now. Then this is why I like robo-advisors because most robo-advisors do have like a sustainable portfolio option. Like I know of a, a couple and I can send you some of the resources you can put in the show notes later, like Wealth Simple, um, Elvest. These are some robo-advisors that have a sustainable investment option. So that way you can still have your money managed for you and know that it's at least going into more sustainable companies. Um, but I think at the end of the day, the best way to ethically invest is to like do it on your own, which that has its like trade-offs. So I, I actually say like people should implement two strategies. So like your first strategy is to like have someone invest your money for you. And that's like your retirement fund. Because at least, you know, like 30, 40 years from now, like I have my money when I need it. The problem with DIY investing is that you can be a badass DIY investor. Like, you know, I've seen good returns over the past five years, but who knows? Like the next five years could be like completely trash for me. And then I end up back at zero dollars. And when I'm ready to retire... I want to make sure that like my money is there, right? I don't have the time for any like flukes or like, you know, a bad year. So that's why I always tell people it's better to have someone manage it for you, but you can have a second strategy going on in the background where any extra money that you have, throw it in there, buy a couple of your own stocks, build your own portfolio. And like, you still never know, maybe... 
40 years from now, your DIY portfolio outperforms your managed portfolio. But I think it's good to have both strategies going on at the same time. Love that. It can be done. It can be done. (laughs) Amazing. Oh, I love this. Okay. I have so many more questions for you. We're just going to have to have you come back on the show. (laughs) That's usually what always happens. I love it. You cover, I mean, you're such a wealth of knowledge. But is there anything else that you want to share right now with anyone listening that is either working through their money story, figuring out how to invest? Um, Like I said, take it one day at a time, really. Like all of it could be so overwhelming. There's like so many things that we want to do at once, like the investing and, you know, should I build out an emergency fund first or should I pay off my debt first? I think what's worked for me is just continuing to educate myself. Like there's so much resources and the internet has so much information and knowledge out there, whether it's like reading books or, you know, listening to podcasts like this one, or, you know, maybe making that investment to work with a finance coach every day, just choosing to get a little bit better at what you're already doing. And maybe it could be, if you're not already budgeting, maybe it's like tomorrow you decide to finally do it, right? Or if you're not already investing, maybe it's tomorrow to book that appointment with your financial advisor. Just small steps every day. (laughs) And inevitably, you'll get yourself to where you want to be. Eventually, they add up. And this shit does not happen overnight. (laughs) No, exactly. That's it. Patience. Oh, so good. It's taking me five years to get me to where I am now. So, yeah, it definitely takes time. (laughs) Inspiration. Total inspiration. Amazing. Well, um, if someone's listening and they want to follow along with what you're up to, how can they find you? I always tell people, like, my main home is IG, so you can follow me at Holistic Bucks. Um, and then I, of course, always have, like, I have my mailing list, so that's, like, my second home for, like, my VIP people, um, my good Holistic Bucks friends. So if you are ever interested in, you know, getting more insights into how you can better improve your finances and start to build wealth, I would say definitely you want to tap into my mailing list and stay really close and connected to the work that I'm doing in terms of services and things that I offer. Of course, you can work with me one-on-one. Um, my two main offerings, my first one is uh, the Wealth Wall, which is a six-month coaching program um, where we really work on tackling your finances from a holistic perspective. So we cover everything from mindset all the way to investing, really doing a 360 in regards to your finances. And then, if, of course, if you're just like, I have certain things going well already, I just maybe need to like have a better strategy when it comes to my budget or like investing, then you can just maybe book like a one-hour strategy call. I call them like broke to woke calls. Um, even if it's just like mindset, I want to do some mindset work, EFT tapping, guided meditations, things like that, really working through some of um, the financial trauma that you're trying to unravel and do and make sense of, you can also book uh, a one hour broke to woke call for that as well. So those are my two main offerings there and how you can work with me and the two places where you can find me. Amazing. <laughs> and what is your website? Oh yeah, my website is www.holisticbucks.com. Go check her out, everyone. You need her in your feed, trust me. (laughs) You won't regret it. Oh, yeah. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Yes, no, thank you for having me. Like you said, you may have to do a second one. There's just so much, so much stuff to talk about. But yeah, I'm I'm happy. (laughs) Someone learned something new today. So oh yeah, for sure. Well, thank you. (laughs) Anytime, girl. That's it for today's show. Thank you so, so, so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed. If you have a moment and you're in the Apple Podcast app, please rate and review the show. I could really use all the ratings I can get. And share this episode with a friend that may benefit from it. You never know. And of course, hit subscribe to keep up with new weekly episodes. Until next week, visit sarahcohan.com, that's S-A-R-A-H-C-O-H-A-N.com to find other podcast episodes. And you can find Lit AF on Instagram at It's Me, Sarah Cohan, and you can also find me on Clubhouse. Thank you again for listening. Please stay lit, Lit AF, and I hope to see you back here next week.